In our lessons on the names of Jesus, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus the Rock. Today, you can almost call this part two, but it's a different name. It's the chief cornerstone, and it means something different than the rock. So let's start in the book of Isaiah. We're going to, uh, all of chapter 28, we're actually going to look at verses 11 through 17. Let me set it up, and then I'll read it. The northern kingdom, where Isaiah prophesied to, was in serious trouble. The Assyrians were coming. They loomed in the north and in the east. They, the northern kingdom knew they were coming, but the northern kingdom seemed to be doing well, very prosperous, but there were bits of it that were dying under the surface. Let's look at these, this passage. Very well then. With foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. He's going to use another nation to, um, to teach them. To whom he said, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. So then, the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that. A rule for this, a rule for that. A little here, a little there. So that as they go, they will fall backward They'll be injured and snared and captured. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. We've made our lie a refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. I don't know of any more contemporary book in the Bible than Isaiah. It seems, no matter where I dip into Isaiah and read, it's, it answers the headlines of the day. Many of you are troubled about the political situation, more troubled when both sides get things dumped on them this weekend, and I know there are more than two sides. Stop it. Uh, I'm also, you know, many of you concerned about relatives where waves would literally roll over them in, uh, in the Caribbean and up the eastern coast, this is a troubled time. And so, in many ways, we're the northern kingdom. We're prospering, but there's some problems. There were flowers, Isaiah said. Flowers that look good, but they're already fading. I've always thought it uh, an odd thing, a touching thing. If this is what you want, if you want flowers, let's give you flowers. But it, it's in many ways of saying, here, this was beautiful. I have now killed it and presenting it to you. Watch it die. Um, still, we do that, and, and there go the flowers. And he's saying, here, look at the flowers. You're thinking they're beautiful, but they're dying. They're kind of like bananas. You know, you've heard of a nanosecond. The only thing shorter than a nanosecond is a bananosecond, and that is the time between they go from green to brown. And, and, and it's so short, there's sometimes, I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to miss it. We have invested in this, this produce, and, and it's important that we eat it at the... Pro and we always, you know, we look away, we look back, it's too late now. 
um, my wife used to make banana bread out of it, and I started learning, oh, buy the old ones then, and she got on to me. <laughs> Hosea put it a different way. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. In other words, there's death coming in, and you're not paying attention. You're not aware. It's going quickly. The storm is coming. It's ferocity, and it's direction. Wow, that's, that's up to God, but it's coming. It'll be a surprise. And so God uses terms all through this passage like hailstorm, destructive wind, driving rain, flooding downpour, throw it forcefully to the ground, trampled underfoot. The nation will be swallowed. And in that time, God says, only a few people in the nation will be able to stand. And the only thing these people will have in common is that God is their God, that he is their Lord. Only they can turn back what is coming to the gates of the city. They're spiritual leaders, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, but God gets a bit sarcastic about their leadership in this. They had made an, an ally of Egypt. Egypt worships dead and the God of the dead and the like. And so he said, you've made a covenant with the realm of the dead, but the dead can't save you from what's coming. The spiritual leaders were not spiritual and not leaders. They answered, scripture says, out of their drunken state. We need to talk about drunken state. Drunk in scripture means overfilled. It doesn't always mean what we mean when we say drunk. When we say drunk, we are referring to overindulging in, in alcohol. And the Bible, it's overindulging in anything. It is having closets full of the world's stuff and still looking for more. It is overeating. It is gluttony. In fact, the word gluttony means more than overeating in Scripture. It can be overwork. It can be having too much money too much house, too much stuff, too much anything. It is becoming drunk, overfilled with the things that the world has on offer. And the spiritual leaders were drunk. They had it all, and they wanted more. They complained that Isaiah was making too many rules and restrictions for them. But did you, notice, did you see what God said? God said, I created for you a place to lie down, and you refused to lie down. And so, that's the way it's going to be. We're going to have a rule here and a rule there. We're going to make this. We're going to do that. That's what happens if you don't just get in a relationship with God and let him be your God. Then he has to jump in and do a bunch of rules. Remember Psalm 23? He makes me lie down. God wants you to rest and rest in him. The world wants you to constantly scurry needing more. And I got to have more, whatever the more is. God says, rest. A couple days with our granddaughter reminded me that when I was a, a, a little kid, I did something very foolish. I've never confessed this before. Here we go. I fought naps. I rejected nap time. What was I thinking? <laughs> Sometimes you have to make them lie down, don't you? God says, you lie down or I'm going to have to put in the rules. 
Well, this is the litany of most of us today. We'd rather not have all those rules. We don't also want to lie down where God wants us to lie down. We would rather just be who we want to be. And so, and if you take a look, there's those verses again. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, so that as they go, they will fall backward. They will be injured, snared, and captured. Why? Because you can't live by rules. Think about it this way. Have you ever played golf? There's no need to, but have you ever? <laughs> there, there's nothing about the act of swinging the club that's natural. Nothing about it at all. And when I swing... My, my golf swing could best be described as man putting on shirt while being attacked by bees. <laughs> right? So there's nothing natural about the thing at all. But if you want to ruin somebody's swing, all you have to do is give them a hint. Don't worry about the water. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Or... Just a question, do you hold your breath when you swing or do you breathe out on the way down? Just asking. And all of a sudden, they don't know anymore. They're hyperventilating. You win the hole. <laughs> Why? Think of it this way. You've got a little, little boy or little girl playing ball and, and you're going to teach them to catch the ball. So you throw it up high in the, in the air and then you say, now gauge it and move forward or backwards as necessary. Allow for the wind. They're going to miss the ball because you're you've put in rules. And when you put in rules, what do you do? People stumble and fall. God says, that's what you want. Then you're going to fall. And yet, God said, there is a safe place, and they wouldn't come to it. Story is told, and it may be a preacher story. It may have never happened, but it's a story I've heard a lot, so I'm going to tell it too. Of, uh, there, there are ferries across the Great Lakes, and the Great Lakes, especially Erie and a bit of Superior, have a lot of rocks there. And the story's told that a ferry was going across, and a lady looks out, and she sees the tops of rocks uh, breaking through the surface of the water. She gets a bit concerned. She goes to the captain, and she goes, do you know where all the rocks are? And he says, no. That did not comfort the girl. He said, I don't need to know where the rocks are. I just need to know where the safe passage is. I don't need to know all the ways the world can go wrong. I just need to know who to trust. God says, trust me. But they had trusted their riches, their position, their history. They thought they had a better idea than God did. Does that sound familiar to most everybody in the room? Ahaz, to whom this is directed, refused Isaiah's call to faith. He chose to ally with Egypt instead, that realm of the dead. His faith was shallow. It was secular. It was a secular faith. It was based upon succeeding in this world by this world's terms. So God offered them their choice of rock. We'll read first out of chapter 8 and then chapter 28. Chapter 8, verses 14, 15. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. Now, out of the next, uh, chapter 28, 
Oh, I'm sorry, we're still here. Many of them will stumble, they'll fall and be broken, they'll be snared and captured. Now let's go, thank you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. So you have your choice of stone. You can go to one which is going to trip you up and smash you, or you can go to one that will give you a safe place to stand. And here's the kicker. It's the same person, Jesus. I think I've told you this story before. I had a person once said, you know, I heard you tell that story 10 years ago at a certain place. You know, I've only had one life. I can't tell the other ones. You know, when I was born in a log cabin in Iowa, no, it didn't happen. So I have to tell you the stories I've got, right? We were a missionary family, and, uh, and my dad's Scottish, therefore money very tight, and even if it weren't, he was going to act like it was. So the, the vacuum cleaner broke, and we can't afford a new vacuum cleaner, and we're, we can't afford somebody to fix it, so dad took it apart, and he put it back together, and he said, Patrick, hold this. And so I'm holding the motor. And he plugged it in. Uh, you're thinking that explains a lot. No, stop it. <laughs> Sparks started flying everywhere, and I dropped it. He unplugged it. He said, why did you drop it? And I said, well, Sparks. And he said, Patrick, this is a very simple question. What are you more afraid of, the motor or me? Let's go. <laughs> I'll tell Jesus hi for you. Plug it in. Let's go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You can either have peace or war with God. God declares peace, but if you want war, he'll give you war. What do you want? How many times in the Old Testament does God say, I offer to you peace or war? I offer to you blessings or curses. Which one do you want? What foundation are you going to be on? I've watched patio builders. We had patio builders come and, and make one for us in Michigan. And I'm just fascinated because these men, I, I'm sure not everybody does this, but these men came and just looked at things and then would go back and, and break a rock and come and it would fit just perfectly. Their skill level was amazing. But it's important to lay a good foundation. So before they even did that, they dug down, they prepped the ground, they put in a sub area, then they, they did all of that to make sure it never tilted and never moved. And guess what? It didn't. It was fine. I've lived in another house where the sidewalk was poured without pre preparing the ground. And guess what? After a few years, it tilts this way, it tilts that way, cracks over here. Where, what's your foundation? What's your cornerstone? You look around you, you can see people who have tilted lives. Spiritual and moral shanty towns. They didn't pay attention to the foundation of their life. Their foundation was built upon something else. The old hymn that was just sung, and by the way, uh, Mark always amazes me at his ability to mix things up. Last week he told me, he said, you know something, we only sang one song a cappella. And I didn't even notice that because I'm, I'm not one of those people that says, sing my songs or die. You know, I don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> you're, not, you're not singing to me anyway. So, and he said, but next week's going to be very heavy a cappella. He always finds a way to balance and move things around, and I appreciate that. And this old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I kept thinking of the number of times I've sung that in my life, and that wasn't true, because I had based it upon my human religious tribe system. 
not on Jesus. Now, if you're a visitor here, you need to know something. Perhaps you're a visitor from another area of our, our religious tribe, and, you've, and you might have shifted about in your seat a few times. Well, hang about. We'll make you shift repeatedly. But dancing's acceptable here, so don't worry about that either. We'll be fine. We are a church that will love you with all that we've got to the end of our life or your life. But we will not tell you that the way to get to heaven is a little rule here, a little rule there, another one here, another one there. We will tell you, come rest in the Lord. Put your foundation on Jesus the Christ. But the world around says, let's, let's base it upon the world's ideas. So, sex, no rules. Ignore the devastation, the ruins, the broken hearts, the broken families, broken society. Just tell us that we're okay like we are, and we can't do that. A thousand arguments are made on TV, radio, and, and on the internet. And people will say, well, we need to sort this out. Well, hang on, a thousand arguments, James tells us, hasn't brought us happiness. One more won't bring you happiness either. But the world says, don't tell us to argue. We feel, tell us, help, help us feel more self-actualized and happier about ourselves as we argue. No, I don't want to. I want to tell you about Jesus instead. Others have just never examined where they're standing. They've never looked down. That, that hit me most with a biology teacher I had in high school. She was teaching um, different theories of of evolution and different theories of this, that, and the other. And there were several of us in the class that were wondering, well, well, which one of these is right? And she wouldn't go in with that at all. And I, I'd always thought of her as an ancient woman. I don't know how old she was, but I'm sure uh, not as ancient as I thought. But I went up to her one day, because I was quite concerned, actually, and I said, Miss Turner, um, what do you believe personally? She looked at me and she goes, well, I haven't really decided. And I wish I could tell you I left it there. But I've never had good verbal breakage. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, you'd better hurry. <laughs> I was pretty sure the angel of death was around the next corner for this woman. <laughs> Where are you standing? your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness, you're doing all right. But if your hope is based upon what the world's voices are yelling the most right now, you're a ticking time bomb because you belong to anybody. You belong to the loudest voice in the room. You belong to the person that buys the most political ads. You belong to the people that buy the most signs. Or you belong to whoever says what next on the commercial. If you don't think commercials affect you, why are people spending so much money to make them? In fact, get your favorite magazine, and uh, if you have magazines, uh, or a newspaper this afternoon, and cut out all of the advertisements and see what's left. And you'll realize magazines and newspapers are merely product catalogs. That's all they are. The world wants you to be based upon that. Religious people can be just as guilty. They can think they're based on Christ, but they're based upon personal preferences, family history, tradition, national culture. You know, sometimes people say, but I want Jesus. How much do you want him? 
Do you want him enough to be changed by him? You know, when you get married, you, you have to change. I've, I've, <laughs> have you ever noticed when people write their own vows, sometimes it goes a bit wrong? Maybe you don't, but I'm the minister, and oh my goodness. Every, and I also, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and so some of the vows were kind of like, you be you and I be me, and if we were to meet in the middle, that would be beautiful. And I'm going, you're meeting. You're getting married. What's, uh, what happens now? Or, or I will never change you, and I'll always let you be who you are. Really? That's not what happens. <laughs> you get married, things change. That's not a bad thing, by the way. It's a very good thing, but things change. When you have a child, things change. When children go away, things change. All of this, we are changed by relationship. Why do we not think we'll be changed by Jesus? Why do we want our life the way we want it, but we want to add Jesus to it as a non-effective, non-changing element to our life? Jesus isn't a bit of furniture. Jesus isn't the living room. Do you have a living room where no living's allowed? <laughs> not sure why you need it, but you were told you did. You've even furnished it with things you're not allowed to sit on, with things you're not allowed to touch. But it's the living room. A lot of people use Jesus like a living room. We've got it, but we don't really access it. It doesn't affect us. It's not a real part of our life, but it's nice to know it's there. But Jesus is our cornerstone. Um, I need to explain that, don't I? Cornerstone's not that little block thing out there that says this was built and such and such, or, or the, the little chutzpah one that our tribe often does, Church of Christ established 33 AD, and I always go, well, this, they built this well. That's, that's, <laughs> that's hanging right in there, this one is. I need to find that contractor. No, that's not a cornerstone. Cornerstones back in Jesus' day were serious business. One found at Baalbek was 69 feet by 12 feet by 13 feet thick. Modern cranes couldn't lift it, but a few thousand slaves with roller logs could. They could roll it, and that's the way you set that in. Serious stones, and God says, you got a stone that'll trip you up, or I can put a serious stone down that you're not going to get messed up on. It's going to be fine. So Peter puts it this way, and this is kind of important that you get this. As you come to him, the living stone, that's a phrase we're going to come back to, rejected by humans but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being, are being built, that's very important, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, see, we're going right back to Isaiah, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, Back to Isaiah, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. In other words, that's where they were headed. That's the way they live their life. 
Often people say, how did I get here? Because you aimed your life there. You made conscious decisions, and that's how you got there. Nobody wants to hear that. I don't want to hear it, but it's true. And telling ourselves the truth is hard sometimes. But I want to talk to you about living stone. If there are geologists in the room, we should have had them up here to talk about this. Some stone moves. It, uh, we, we refer to it as a living stone. Now, whether that was what is being referred to here, I do not know. It could have just been Jesus is living and he's, he's our stone and we're to live our lives like that. That could be it. But when I read this, I smile because some rock flows. Now, it's quite slow. But we're also being built up. And frankly, God's taking his time with me. How about with you? Paul talked about taking 20 years to get him to a point. Right, Paul? Hey, I'm right there with you, brother. God cannot teach. In fact, I even talked to him about it. I said, Lord, help me be a better man, but do it slowly and gently because I bruise and break easy. And God has, has always honored that. Let's, let's do well. Let's be living stones. That stone, he's the character for who we are to be. When you have a big cornerstone, we would have called it a foundation slab. Our language is different. When you make that, you fit the stones to it, not to each other. You understand what I mean? We don't fit to you and me. We fit to this. All of us fit to the stone. We have to be based upon the stone, shaped and smoothed until we look like the stone. And every so often, I can feel God's hammer and chisel in my life. Sometimes it's good. Often it doesn't feel good. But understanding this is how he gets me where he needs me in his place, in his kingdom. We should never be satisfied with anything less. The world's acclaim, riches, full closets. No. We want to look like Jesus. No wonder then, that when people that Jesus interacted with trotted out their doctrines, he shoved those away. A little rule here, a little rule there, and brought himself in. Think of Martha. Martha at the grave. Mary and Martha both had difficulties with the grave of Lazarus. They had, they had difficulties with this. And Jesus looks at them and says, he will be raised. Do you believe it? And they say, well, I believe he'll be raised in the last day. They had the doctrine down. What did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die. Do you believe that? Now think about this. He's asking them while their brother who believed in him is dead in a cave. Are you going to trust your eyes? Are you going to trust your philosophy? Are you going to trust what you see in the world? Or are you going to trust Jesus? He put him right there. Don't want your doctrine. Don't talk to me about the last day. Do you believe in me, the individual, the person, Jesus the Christ? Think about the rich young ruler. Always tickles me that we call him that because he's, the story's told in three gospels. In one he's called rich, in another he's called young, and another he's called the ruler, so we just put them all together. He comes up and he says, what do I, what do I have to do to enter eternal life? And he seemed to be a, a sincere guide, but the Bible says Jesus loved him. And so Jesus tells him, well, you know, follow the commandments. And the guy goes, I've done all that. And Jesus goes, 
then get rid of what's holding you back. Sell what you've got and follow me. He couldn't get rid of his stuff. He couldn't let his stuff go. You know, the sad thing is, shouldn't we know by now, eventually everybody does? You know, you don't, you don't see hearses pulling a U-Haul. Everybody gets rid of it. Do it now and avoid the rush. In worship, in our elders' shepherds' meetings, in our ministries, in our discussions around the table, our only question should be, does this fit me to Jesus or am I asking Jesus to be fit to me? Am I fitting myself to the foundation, the foundation slab, the chief cornerstone? Will this honor Jesus and make me look more like him or dishonor him and hide that from the world? Mark, would you bring your people back up since there are quite the slew of them? And I'm stepping away because as a minister, when a group of church people run at you, it's best to step away. Oh, look at this. They flanked me. Come on. Yeah, you can join me down. Can I, can I join you and sing with you? Oh, look at that. He walks away. Would you stand, please? Just a little reminder. This is by no means certain, but right now scholarship seems to believe that we got it wrong about Joseph, the father, earthly father of Jesus, that he isn't what we would call a carpenter. In the last 50 years, really, when we find that word, it is applied to a stonemason, someone who cuts stone for a living. Jesus grew up the son of a stonemason, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus shapes our lives. I find that fascinating. I hope we get it all nailed down one day. But in the meantime, every aspect of our life has to be brought into submission to the will of Jesus. We must be shaped to him and not declare that he must be shaped to us. Is it difficult? Yes. When we feel the hammer and the chisel blows of God, let's make a promise. We will not kick back, but we will allow God to shape us into whatever he needs to move the kingdom forward and build his church. Amen, church?